Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Drive My Car. He's still driving his car, but I'm glad he was able to come in for this one. It's Josh Brown. Josh, what's up? Vroom, vroom. <laughs> and he just got back from sob shopping. It's Elijah Howard. Elijah, what's up? Hey. Yeah, I'm happy to tell my sob story later on. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I was very excited that these guys were able to join me for Drive My Car. I, 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 I was lucky to, I was lucky. I had to take a little bit of a drive myself to see it uh, last week, but I got it, got it in right before it snuck into the best picture lineup. And I said I needed to convene some people to talk about it because I'm a completist on this podcast and I, I must talk about every best picture nominee. And uh, we, we have this and we're going to have Belfast coming up in a few weeks. When's your No Way Home episode? When's that one? <laughs> I, I, I've, I've just kind of checked out of that discussion. I mean, you know, I might have like been more involved with like that kind of surge and like, I mean, I guess Black Panther did get nominated, but it's just like, I just didn't like it enough to really like opt into that conversation. And I was just too busy. I'm like, I don't know why people think this movie should be nominated. Like I enjoyed it fine, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't anything. I would it's get on better than don't look up. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so much other stuff. And there's, yeah, exactly. There's plenty of other things that are also <laughs> better than don't look up. <laughs> wait, wait, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't look up is better than Vice, and that's a huge step up. I don't know about that. You really dislike Vice that much? Vice is horrid. Like I mean, like Don't Look Up. It, it it's not like here's the thing. My thing with Don't Look Up, right? I think the premise is just inherently makes it inherently watchable, even though like it it, it is fucking like pissing all over itself. Like to me, I think the editing nom is worse than the best picture nom. That's just fucking mm. insulting. Like, I think think most movies were better edited than Don't Look Up. Like, put Hank Corrin and Adam McKay like away from each other. Hilarious to me because if you look at Hank Corwin's career, it's It's like it's yeah, it's half like it's it's half Adam McKay trash and then half Terrence Malick, the same guy that did this did Tree of Life, which to me is just like unbelievable. Wasn't Corwin an editor on JFK? Like, yeah, he- yeah, his early Oliver Stone. He, I mean, and this is the thing is like, this is why when I, I, we gave, we gave Adam McKay too much credit for Big Short because Hank, I, when that movie came out, I was like, wow, Hank Corwin was really doing something interesting here. And it made sense because he did Natural Born Killer, another bizarrely edited film that was really, you know, ahead of its time. Yeah. But now, you know, just we let him get away with it and. <laughs> It's gone. The train is so far off the rails. I I, I guess they're different categories, but it's it's still like a very hard pill to swallow that like Adam McKay has like a, a screenplay nomination for this year for like that movie when like they shut out your boy Tony Kushner, Josh. Like it's it's like it's just very disappointing. Well, well, two different categories. Yeah, so I'm saying it's different categories, but it's still just like it's yeah. hard to reconcile those things. Like, in given the year in movies, you know. Well, well, here's the thing. All right, I will say that like the Academy, like this year. I was quite pleased with most of the nominations because like even in that original screenplay category, right? They, they were, they, they liked their boy McKay, but at the same time, they had a good sense to snub Aaron Sorkin for being the Ricardos. Like they, <laughs> they gave that slot to worst person in the world, which I'm like, which between it and licorice Pete's here's, here's the fucked up part. Kenneth Branagh's going to win it. But like, but like between licorice pizza and worst person in the world, I, like that's a tough one. I don't know which one to choose. That, that that's I think I would be licorice pizza. But I'm seeing worst person in the world next week, and I've still haven't made it. It's coming to one of my theaters next weekend. Oh, I saw it two days ago. It was really good. It made mm-hmm. my like top five. Mm. I still am not including it in 2021. I know a lot of people are now, but 
the fact of the matter is it didn't come out in a fee- in a, in a, in a reasonable enough time frame for it to be included in 2021 for me. Yeah. Yeah. You, like, got, you, you guys in your, uh, in your, uh, hard cutoffs are going to like screw with my top 10 list probably, but, uh, um, <laughs> Oh yeah. Like, yeah. The, cause I still need to see Flea. Like right now I'm watching like Flea's on Hulu now, by the way, I think I'm going to get yeah. to it and do a podcast with show. Yeah. I'm going to watch it on Hulu. Um, I gotta get through Flea. Um, and then I got to watch the hand of God. Like, and then I think, yeah. Oh yeah. Summer or soul. Like, Try to knock those out before like the Oscars, but I like let me just say, let me defend them. Like this year, they came to their senses on a few things, like Jared uh, Leto and House of Gucci. <laughs> like, they they had some wisdom to not go there. Shot the pigeon. Shot the pigeon. <laughs> um, I, they did not have any good sense when it came to Jessica Chastain, like in in in, in fucking Tammy Faye. That's like, fine. That's a, that's atrocious. It was performance. it was a, I don't think it was a less insulting performance than Jared Leto. I don't think it's worthy of winning an award, and I really hope it doesn't go to her. But I mean, and but that's like, coming okay. from somebody who loves Jessica Chastain. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I think we've given her too much power. I think we've <laughs> given her too much power. The three five five or five. What was that? Like three five five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> did, did, did did you watch it? I'm gonna be honest. I did not, but 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 no, I, I did. You didn't miss much. I was just curious. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's great. All right, drive my car. It's the it's the it's the newest movie from uh, Japanese filmmaker Raisuke Hamaguchi. It's adapted from a short story by Haruki Murakami. It tells the story of an actor and theater director Yusuke Kafuku, played by Hidetoshi Nishijima. Nishijima. It, uh, uh, Kafuku is married to Oto, a screenwriter and television producer. Uh, when we meet them at the beginning of the film, they have a fairly interesting relationship slash creative partnership where uh, Oto conceives of her stories uh, while they're having sex, particularly when she is uh, close to climaxing and he has to, but she forgets all of this stuff. So Oto uh, or so Kafuku has to uh, kind of relay the story she has kind of conceived of uh, back to her and she, you know, turns it into a uh, content, though. We also learn that he is kind of aware of the fact that she also regularly uh, cheats on him, including with a, a younger a younger actor who he meets backstage at one of his plays. Uh, one day, though, uh, he comes back uh, at, from work and uh, unfortunately finds that Oto has died of a brain hemorrhage. Uh, we then re- rejoin uh, Kafuku a couple years later when he has taken a job at a uh, taken a residency for a film festival in Hiroshima, uh, uh, directing a version of Uncle Vanya when in which uh, a lot of the different actors for hire, some of whom are uh, fairly, uh, fairly novice. They are all talking in their own languages and it's kind of own experimental way the young actor who he uh, who, who his wife had an affair with, whose name is uh, Koji Takatsuki or Takasuki. Uh, shoot, I messed it up. Uh, the, the young man who his wife was uh, having an affair with Koji Takasuki, he is one of the people that actually comes out for the uh, play and he kind of casts him in the actual Uncle Vanya role, despite the fact that uh, Kafuku is like kind of knows the play by heart because he drives around a lot, uh, kind of reciting it with uh, recordings that Oto did for the other parts. Uh, as part of the uh, kind of the gig, the film festival assigns him a driver, which he's upset about because he likes driving his red Saab. Uh, his his driver uh, is a woman named Misaki Watari, and uh, they end up kind of like kind of having their own bond as they uh, drive around a lot. Guys, this is a three hour movie. I think a lot of what people have said about it, though, is that it, it kind of 
uh, moves along in a clip that it, such that it doesn't really feel like you are there uh, for that long. I want to, I, I guess that's, I, it's so hard to know where to start with a movie like this. that is so vast, but I want to, I guess I, just in light of that, I'm kind of interested, like Elijah, do you think this movie like actually really like earns its runtime and it makes sense for it to be that long? Cause one of the things that struck me about it was that like, First of all, I had a little like stress unrelated in that like I was just like deathly afraid I was going to go to the bathroom. Haven't had like a theater experience like that since The Irishman. And I don't remember why. I think in The Irishman, I like I thought ahead a little more and didn't drink like the last four hours of the day before I showed up to the theater. So I was just like very confident going in and wasn't as confident uh, with respect to drive my car. And I was just like constantly worried the whole time. So but at the same time, so I was like did it need to be this long? Cause I'm just stressing the whole time. And then there's a couple scenes towards the, there's a couple scenes towards the end of this movie that I was like, Oh yeah, it probably needed to be this long. Cause they're hitting in a way that like, I don't know if it otherwise would have. So I'm wondering, Elijah, like, did it make sense for this story, which apparently is an actual fairly short story that Hamaguchi really had to expand. Do you think it made sense to like tell it in this way in such a, like a sprawling, uh, sprawling manner? Yeah. Mechanically, I think this is a very interesting film because in a way, it's kind of like two separate movies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's the first 40 minutes or so of the movie, 40, 45 minutes, mm -hmm. which are we, I guess we're we're past the spoiler point, right, on that. Uh, right, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, so what did you make of so, that title drop that way? Well, yeah, so, uh, so the first 40 minutes of the movie is this just this, you know, we're seeing Kafuku's story with his wife and kind of this buildup. And her death and, you know, her kind of sudden death. And then, you know, th this, in a way, I I liked, you know, if we want to talk about the title credits, I liked their placement there because it was very unexpected. And it felt, nevertheless, still relevant because it is sort of this new beginning, right? And we have this first mini film in a way, which is so tonally different than the rest of the film. Like the, the first 40 minutes are very like atmospheric and kind of dark and strange in a way. And, you know, especially in Kafuku's relationship with his wife. Um, and then her death is, is both shocking and sad, but also in a way it's like a cloud being lifted. And then we have this whole second, film in a way that is you know post rebirth that is you know kafuku as a new man kind of trying to make sense of everything that just happened um and i think it's it was a really brilliant choice to kind of spread that out like that to give us give the audience time with the characters before and then to have us kind of you know, to have that bedrock there so that when all these tensions resolve later, it feels so much more uh, earned and so much more uh, realistic and, and, you know, human. I'd agree. Uh, Josh, was there anything that like particularly jumped out to you about the uh, about the storytelling, given that, again, it's like a it, it's an adaptation. I think he made a, took he was able to take a lot of creative liberties. So I like to give my two cents about like the opening 45 minutes yeah. of the film. Um, a, like it kind of hooks you and it's almost like like old like 60s european art house like uh way where like when um oto is like you know that like she's like in silhouette and like the opening frames of the movie telling like the story and it's very haunting and 
Um, and it just it just grabbed me like and it speaks to almost like what feels almost like this elusive nature of this film and like the 45 minutes like to me it like as Elijah said like it's like a mini movie but it also sort of makes it feel more like this play that they're putting on and that it's like that's the prologue like letting you know like this is you know all the things that transpire and also just I think it was just a good piece of both editing and screen screenwriting where you're getting all, but you don't realize you're getting all this backstory about this one character before this actual story is about to take place. Um, and to like to speak to like the films like runtime, I actually I like the atmospheric, moody, like slow burden of this um, uh, because I think this movie is ultimately about grief, and I think when we're like trying to process and channeling grief, we're always in a contemplative like state of mind you know while doing so um and that in the movie's runtime and its mood uh its control over mood like i getting creates that contemplative mode and so you're inside kofuku's like state of mind the entire time well i think it's interesting you said it's like ultimately about grief because i think there's something like incredibly impressive to like make a three-hour movie about grief that doesn't feel like a slog yeah, and which is why, like, the don't look up editing nomination. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, and when when the like when we hit that forty five minute title card drop, yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, Hamaguchi, he loves the departed. Like, here we go. Like, I I just <laughs> love, I just love elongated like title card drop. Like, you have your movie has to earn it, but when a movie does that, it tells me like. All right, it has confidence. <laughs> no, uh, for sure. I mean, like, uh, what? I guess oh, maybe maybe I can ask you guys a little more specifically about about this uh, about this lead performance, um, Hidetoshi uh, Nishijima, because he's having to take in a lot, I guess, in that first forty five minutes, and I guess the ways in which he like reacts to his wife in certain moments uh, informs a lot of the rest of the movie. I mean, she like obviously looms like very large over the rest of it. And I mean, we find out about them having lost a kid too. So he's obviously dealt with a lot, but I, I, I it was interesting to me, just like, uh, just like watching him kind of like, uh, take in the world and kind of like, even the way he reacted to seeing his wife sleeping with someone else, like it was so hard to get a read on it. But at the same time, like you kind of see in the second half of it, like how, He's like compartmentalized that stuff and still like really cares about his wife. And I just thought it was like a, a really interesting performance. What, what did you think of him, Elijah? Yeah, I mean, he's he's stellar. He's just he's like, like you said, he's kind of a tabula rasa in a way because he just sort of he 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 doesn't he's never given. And this is to me, this was an interesting subversion. I will kind of detour for a minute. Right. He's an actor by trade in the story. And yet I think the strongest element of his performance is the non-acting is not the he doesn't really have like a beautiful monologue <laughs> that's not him literally on stage or something like that you know he's the strength of his performance is in the the physicality of it the elementality of it just the you know his reactions to things um and i think that's that that's where the strength of his performance lies and i, I think it's it's a highly underappreciated aspect of, of, of film performance in general um, is kind of this notion that, you know, you, your performance is so much more than just your words and how you deliver them necessarily. It's, 
you know, it's the, it's your posture. It's things like that. It's the, the speed of your movements. Um, and it's the choreography of it that goes well beyond really anything a director can direct. And this is not to take away from Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Obviously this was an incredibly directed performance, but nevertheless, there's something there that just some actors have it. Some actors don't. Right. And I really think that uh, Hidetoshi Nishijima just absolutely controlled that role in such a way that was stellar. What, what did you think of him, Josh? And I guess also uh, what question, a more specific question I, I like to pose is, I think it's interesting in, in that, like, I didn't necessarily like think he was like the character himself was like doing a lot of like, in, like incredibly, like maybe not the warmest personality, but you still kind of like find yourself rooting for him and like really liking him. And I think that's interesting. Like he's able to pull that off, even if he's like a little more reserved than like being like the most like, you know, outgoing friendly person in the world. I'm wondering what kind of balance you think he was able to kind of strike and uh, kind of getting the audience on his side in that regard. See, as um, Elijah said, it's like a very great, subtle physical performance as he was touching up with like the posture and stuff and then like because of his performance and now that like i'm having a little bit more time to process the movie i you know like you he wears the grief and you see the struggle on his face throughout the entire movie of just a dude like a mild-mannered dude trying to hold it together when like his world around him is like fucked and like um you can't imagine like experiencing the heartbreak that he has experienced um um, in those like opening 45 minutes but it makes me wonder like now that i think about the movie is like is there some part of the character that just likes suffering you know like Hmm. um, like why does he still stay with Otto after like the infidelity you know what i mean like um is there a part of himself that you know throughout this movie is sort of like to a certain degree, because like as this movie is about sort of uh, channeling grief through the arts, like maybe like wallowing in this grief in self-pity is informing, you know, his production of Uncle Vanya as well. And like he sort of needs to stay in this state of mind in order to direct this play and come through, come out of it. I I think that's an interesting point because, right, like it's it's the idea that He's an actor who's acting in both in the show and also in his life. And I think it's that, I mean, you want to talk about like talented performance, right? Like that's kind of how, like as an actor in real life, how do you act in such a way that you, that you recognize that you are acting, like you're acting out acting while also acting. Like mm-hmm. it's, there's so many layers of acting. Life is acting, right? Like, and that's... And also, like, and how, like, we're so much of it is, like, we're putting a performance for others, right? Like, you know, like, he is, do, like, he is making it, you know, he's protecting his wife's integrity, and, you know, he's trying not to, like, badmouth this person who I think he feels betrayed by, but loves at the same time. And, like, he's acting like he's okay, for everybody else, which gets to like, you know, when we get into the um, past the prologue where he's assigned a driver, we realize like that's the one time he gives up any pretense, right? Was when he's assigned the driver because like the you know reciting his lines in the car has been 
sort of his like cathartic therapeutic like uh thing that he's been doing to cope with this and now it's being disrupted and that's the moment where like this mild-mannered dude who seems like he can put up with a lot is like no i don't want to like be like he does the one time i think he feels like he gives up this performance but otherwise like he's just performing for everybody else well let me ask you then, I guess, uh, Elijah, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, you, you know, Chekhov better than I do. What did you make of Uncle Vanya being like such a through line through this in light of what you just said about his acting and how he, you know, is kind of putting on performances all throughout this. And much of that is tied up in that play. Yeah, well, and uh, so this is one of these weird moments, right, where I think superficially Uncle Vanya does not really have much to, like as a play does not have much to do with the story that was kind of my understanding from what i've been able to glean from it there's not there's not really a lot of like um what's the word not various militude but like a parallel in a way like it's it's a it's a country play you know about this about about boredom and life and you know living up to expectations and things like that and what what i think becomes really interesting right is how much of it is still like textually relevant even though i think like thematically and narratively uncle Vanya has nothing to do with like the story of drive my car besides it's it's literal place within the story, but how much of it just ends up sounding right because of the, like the situations, the characters in drive my car are in. But uh, see, I kind of like the opposite where like, I thought like, like it was one, and this can be sometimes like hackneyed when like movies and shows do this where they like, like the play that they're discussing is parallel to like the um, what's going on with the drama with the actual characters in, in the movie. Um, and like, I thought with Uncle Vanya, isn't that like a play about like a man being under the spell of like his earlier wife, like his first wife. And it's sort of like in this movie, Otto is this like spell that he can't get uh, from out of. And then like, doesn't that move that like play, you know, deal with like unrequited love and stuff like that. And it's about like the suffering of this, like, you know, intellectual and also the balance between like urban and rural. Like, I feel like there are some like parallel in the themes. Like, with- yeah, I, I guess I tend to think of a lot of the strength of, of the, of uncle Vanya comes from like the relationship with between uh, uh, boy, make me dig here. Uh, Serebrikov, I think. Mm-hmm. Yakov, the kind of sort of main character in a way of Uncle Vanya. Yo, guys, I'm avoiding like announcing names. Like I saw that Josh struggle with Japanese names, and now like <laughs> a lot of Russian Vanya. names. Yeah, yeah. just bit, bit off him, like my guy, that guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I it's more i feel like it's the focus is on his relationship with his daughter but then in a way i guess to drive my car sort of has that element too right and, yeah. you know with because i don't know do, are we just we're, we're are we at the blanket spoiler point where we i yeah um, my thing is like if you're listening to a podcast about drive my car <laughs> you have probably saw yeah I, I, i'm just gonna say spoilers throughout and i'm gonna hold the episode for a couple weeks till it's a little more widely released and th- and then just give a disclaimer so say whatever you want so right so we discover kind of piecemeal over the course of drive my car right that uh that kafuku 
had a daughter with Oto uh, many, many years ago. I think it's, it's implied to be almost 20 years ago. Um, and um, she, or, or more than 20, like 25 years ago or 27 years ago. And no, I think, I know. I think they said it was in 2001 when she died or something like that. It was 2001 when she died. Yeah. Right. Spoilers, uh, right? So right. 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 So she would have been born before. She, yeah. 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 yeah she would have been born before then. Um, and, and, you know, and so, yeah, and we're, I, I don't even, I don't even quite remember if we're told exactly how she dies. I think we're just told it's kind of sudden, un, you know, unexpected. And it puts obviously a huge damper on, <laughs> puts a big damper, puts a, puts a big cloud over uh, Kafuku's relationship with his wife, you know, that they kind of not always worked through, but right. And then later in the film, the relationship that he, that Kafuku develops with Watari, with his driver is there's something intimate about it at first. And I think as the film goes on and we, we learn more about Kafuku's life and his daughter, we can start to start to see the parallels there where it's sort of like he sees his daughter in this woman who would be about the same age as his daughter if his daughter was still alive. So yeah, in a way there, you know, it's kind of the lead is sort of buried a bit, but there's also that connection to uncle Vanya. Right. And cause in, in uncle Vanya, the, character of Sonia uh, Sophia is like a it's the main character's daughter from his first marriage who is like now kind of old enough to be like a, a married woman but is not and they're sort of like Serebnyakov's like struggle with that like with under like kind of seeing like where time went so yeah I guess in a way that parallel is that exists there it's interesting. Yeah. And um, now, like, watching the movie, um, actually, I have a question for you guys. Like, is, is Kofuku a good director? Because <laughs> well, if, if, if the job of a director is casting, he <laughs> fucked up with, like, the <laughs> guy he cast. He knew he was erratic. He was, you know, miscast technically because of the age thing. But I think that's what was kind of, like, interesting choice about the casting. Like... Um, one of the reviews I read seemed to think that he cast him just to fuck with him in that I, way. A little bit. And also maybe he knew that ultimately he's like, after he like has that breakdown um, performing it, um, you know, like two years, I think like before, like, you know, where most of the movie takes place uh, when he goes to Hiroshima, um, maybe like deep down, he, he knew this uh, actor would self implode so that he can finally take the role himself and make up for that performance in which he had a breakdown well to answer your question on if he's a good director i mean like there's a whole uh there's a whole discussion to be had aside from the casting on like those scenes where they're just like trying to work out the play and like they're very and elijah already touched on that a little bit as far as just like the ways in which they analyze how they're reading the text and stuff like that but um i got I, 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 is by the way like how he like when they push back on him i'm like that's a man committing to his vision like <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean i mean we're led to believe that pays off and to be a little more clear well again i think ever everyone's watched it but again the the idea is that he's uh telling them to like just to, to not read the stuff with any emotion and yeah. to and just to feel the text and because he wants he has all these people that are speaking different languages and he thinks you should be able to just kind of like convey to, to convey all the emotion you need and through precisely reading the words uh and i I, I don't know. I, I got a kick out of like hearing them talk about it, though. 
I, and I agree. It was funny how like uh, steadfast he was in believing that was the way you needed to do it. So if nothing else, like, I guess he kind of kept command of the room, even if people seem perplexed at times. So uh, he has that going for him, I suppose, but also, he like, also- the piece of direction that he gives like the actor about like, you know, you're really good, like reacting to other people's performance. Now I need you to react to the text. I'm like, that seems like a good piece of direction right there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like, Side note, side note, because this is like, you know, like Hamaguchi's in the best director race. And I just asked a question about this character's directing abilities, right? And the other person in this race in like has a theater background is Kenneth Branagh, right? And I I just watched like uh, an early Branagh movie, Dead Again, right? And I'm just like, this motherfucker has always been a ham in front and behind the camera. Like... He is like, you remember Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Sam Wanabaker? Like, he is the like real life incarnation of that like director. <laughs> how, have we done, how have we let him get away with this? I'm sorry. I saw but, Death on the Nile on Friday night. So I'm not really pushing back too hard against you. <laughs> but if nothing else, if nothing else, it looks like Kofuku can give a very subtle performance, even if he's doing a lot of makeup. That's all I got to say. That's all I got. Well, so um, I, I want to actually move to the car stuff in a minute, but I, I guess before, before 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 we get off of that, Elijah, did you have any other feelings just like on the actual like uh, theater rehearsal scenes? Because they do take up a not insignificant chunk of the movie. And I, I, found, I found them very interesting, though, at the same time, like in a way fairly distinct from the other part of the movie we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, well, and it's right. I mean, it it kind of falls in with this idea of performing a performance, like performers performing a performance. And it's very Charlie. Co- is this like Charlie Kaufman movie that he didn't direct this year? I mean, it's a lot happier, I think, than your average Charlie Kaufman film and a lot less neurotic. Um, but, and that's coming from, I just, I actually just rewatched. Um, I'm thinking of ending things and Oh my God, I love that movie. But um no, I think I no, I, I think it's you know the the you're because you're right. They do take up the performance scenes, the rehearsal scenes do take up a chunk of time. So they clearly have to have some value to the story. Like there's not they're not just there arbitrarily. Sure. And I think yeah, it's it's there because again, this like the meta text of the film is this idea of we're all actors to some degree in our lives, right? Uh, maybe actors like actors by trade even more so maybe and I think the point is to just kind of look at that and examine those sort of those weird parallels and reflections of real life um, and then and how freeing it is in a way to be given permission to fake it right because so much of this movie is about like how like faking it is just sort of like an accepted thing in life right like somebody dies and you just sort of have to like you're expected to eventually move on and just kind of get back to things being the way they were and so I think the the rehearsals are are you know they're so multi-layered but it's 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 Fuku coming to terms with what what happened in his life and it's other people benefiting from being able to to you know to be to have this permission to to act to to perform to to um you know to to lie without feeling guilty about it 
and not lie in a judgmental way, just lie in, in, in an acting way, right? To be able to say lines, to, to become a different person. Um, and, and it's cathartic for everyone. It's cathartic for Kafuku. I think it's cathartic for, uh, you know, Takatsuki. Um, and I, I think it's even cathartic for, um, uh, my God, I'm blanking on her name. The, there's a, a character, uh, an actress who shows up to uh or to do an audition uh who is um mute and uh you know performs in sign language oh, yeah and um it turns out that she is she's actually the theater director or the uh, like the uh, like the like the producer's wife uh, mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to say anything because they didn't want to you know taint kafuku's judgment and Later, we get this, like, it's a complete detour, but it's a really beautiful, heartfelt, like, dinner scene with the theater producer and his wife and Kafuku and Watari, kind of. Um, it's funny. It's, 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 it's like a 15-minute respite where it's, like, all, like, mostly happy and throughout the rest of this movie that's just, like, so bogged down in grief. Again, it yeah. sounds like we all like the movie, but it is a funny little break that they have there. Yeah, and then, but then later on, she has this really emotional performance scene she actually has several but one of the rehearsal scenes right oh yeah her you know performing this uh exchange with another character um and and it feels it like feels so right on the cusp of like are they talking about real life here like (laughs) it's lines from the show but it feels so relevant to both characters um, yeah, and then also that kind of answers the question whether or not he's a good director because that's the scene like in the park where they're rehearsing where like you can see that they're his vision being fully executed where like they got to the point from the rehearsals to like now they are like feeling the emotions of these characters and able to convey that in a real way and now it's putting that on the stage. Um, by the way, we talked about like the happiest moment in the film. Can we talk about like the most devastating? Now, when I say this most devastating moment, I'm not talking about the dead baby. I'm not talking about her dying. I'm talking about that scene in the car where Kofuku and the actor are are talking about Odo. And then, like, the revelation is that, like, um, you know, Odo, like, she, her stories, her plays comes to her through having sex and, like, narrating it. But also, like, she's been having sex with other men and, like, um the actor then reveals like his relationship with Odo and it's just like how much more can Kofuku go through at that point I'm sorry like I just I thought that scene was so phenomenal it was breathtaking because he he, right Tanatsuki uh does doesn't really reveal he doesn't directly he doesn't outright he, say it he doesn't outright yeah. say that he was sleeping with odo he just says that odo told him the rest of the story which yeah, we, as the, the audience we know what that means but and that's also like the thing is like the greater about it's not just the sleeping with other men it's the fact like he thought like the, their creative partnership lied with it's him who's receiving the stories and now it's like no it's other people who are also you know what i mean and so i feel like it's not just like the betrayal of the relationship but just like also the betrayal of like whatever creative like partnership they had but also it's interesting that the that the end of that story is in a way like a thesis statement for the movie to a certain extent i guess where like you find out that like uh 
you wondering what's going to happen and that there's like this dead body in this girl's house. And then he sees the girl like going on about her life. And uh, or, or, or she, she sees the guy going on about his life. And there's like no uh, there, there's like, wait, no, I forgot. It's a girl spying on a guy or a guy spying on a girl. It's a girl spying on a guy's house, right? Yeah, it's a girl spying on the guy. She kills the intruder. Right, she kills the intruder and like doesn't notice anything different uh, for, for, on the outside looking in at this guy as she keep, continues to observe him. And it's like, wow, like it's kind of like we're watching a movie about this guy that has just like had to like keep living life amidst all this grief. And he's like around all these people all the time that like, really don't actually know him that well and know everything that like he is kind of living with at any given moment. It was, it's very, very interesting. Just like a, a, a pretty powerful, like reveal on like so many levels. Also, one thing I think is interesting about that scene, because we haven't really talked about Watari yet is that she's there for all of it. And, uh, I think, oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think another big, big part of this movie is just, it's, it's about how, like, if you are going to kind of move on from kind of great trauma like that, you have to fight, you have to like, you, you you often do actually need someone else to help you do it. And I think it's kind of interesting where it's like uh, they're very, they're fairly cordial. He's respectful once he, he, he once he realizes she can handle his uh, beloved car very well. Uh, but at the same time, like it's what I was referring to at the very beginning when I'm saying like this movie maybe needed to be three hours, to, like get to the point where they can be as vulnerable as they need to be with each other. Like you got to go through, it makes sense that you have to see them kind of go through a lot. And like, that is almost like a shorthand way of not a shorthand way of doing it. Cause it's a, it's a fairly long scene, but it's like kind of interesting how like that brings them closer together when it's not even a direct conversation between the two. And I, I just think it was pretty impressive because from what I gather from reading some of what I've read about this movie and about more uh, re- reading both about this movie and a little bit more in the context of like how people feel about it based on what they know about Murakami, even though I don't know a lot about Murakami, seems like some people are somewhat critical of him for the female characters he writes and that like this was kind of a very interesting spin on it to like uh, have us kind of like come to know Watari the way we did. So I guess that's my long way of asking you guys like, unless you have anything else to add on the, on the, on the story scene, but I just thought it was really notable that she was there for that. Cause I think it's kind of key to kind of like eventually getting to where we get with her as a character. Yeah. I mean, I think, right. I, I can't remember if that comes before she kind of takes him on a tour of some of the places where she oh, yeah, I can't used remember. to kind of hang out in Hiroshima mm-hmm. um, or if it comes after but either way i think it's definitely it builds this idea that like you you share things with people you share emotions and that's that's ultimately how relationships are are for the most part built i think this movie is it's not saying that like you can't have relationships that come from some specific moment or some you know, fiery storm of passion or whatever. But I think it's very reflective of, of I think the, the broader reality from which is for most people, relationships are, and it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic or just, you know, friendships or anything. Relationships with other people are not something that's born in an instant. You you get to that point by sharing things. And sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just somebody happens to hear something that completely changes their demeanor towards you. And and yeah. See, I thought when you said sometimes you like you share something, I thought you're about to say like sometimes like it's you share a cigarette. Like <laughs> sometimes you share a cigarette, sometimes you share your wife. I mean it's <laughs> or a red sob. Yeah. Or a red sob, exactly. Yeah, I, I, how about we break this up? I want to hear your sob story, Elijah. <laughs> 
No, I don't have. I'm uh, so yeah. I'm. I mean, I, I actually don't know what you meant when you said you were like we're so excited to talk about the Saab. I don't actually know if you were joking or you actually have some personal connection to the to the to the brand. No, I'm uh, dead serious. I mean, you've already you. I think you've you've fallen into this quagmire once, which is assuming I'm not a car guy for the yeah, yeah, Ferrari yeah. podcast. When in reality, I am very much so. And Saab, um, this I don't... is one of your many interests. Elijah. Yeah, and he I'm doesn't even he doesn't interests. even own a car. Yeah, 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 I don't, I don't, uh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> live in a city, right? But um, no, uh, it, it, Saab's are one of my favorite brands. Um, and when this movie debuted at Ten, and I saw the poster for it, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, <laughs> look at that, Saab's getting some love. And so to find out later on in the year that like, oh no, this is actually going to be like one of those really well-regarded, really, you know, uh, high importance films this year. I was like super happy to to see that. Um, and it's and and uh, you know when when that kind of started to come around, I saw an article on uh, like a Saab enthusiast forum that was you know like a review of the movie from a Saab fan, and they were like, yeah, I mean like the Saab's in it, but it's not really the star of the show. So like if you're what? a Saab, if you're a Saab person, don't really you know don't don't go into this thinking this is going to be like Saab porn. Like it's just. No. That's like saying like Back to the Future and does a disservice to the DeLorean. Like, <laughs> I I totally agree because I walked out of this movie and I felt that the Saab was not only you know not only really well presented. I know that's like I know that's goofy. There's we get plenty of shots though of the car driving, <laughs> but I also think Saab as a as a brand not as a brand necessarily, but like that car right is so specific to the narrative because so so for people who don't know. Saab was a um, Swedish uh, car manufacturer. Uh, they started actually as a as an armaments manufacturer during World War II. Uh, and after the war, they wanted to, to keep doing things and people weren't buying fighter planes. So they started producing cars. And that's where uh, Saab Automobile uh, kind of was born from. And they, alongside Volvo, began became sort of like ubiquitous with Swedish car manufacturing, like these kind of quirky, you know, kind of weirdly designed cars. Um, and, and specifically in the case of Saab, incredibly unreliable. Very, very quirky would be the would be the euphemistic phrase for it. Saabs are notoriously just like you have to be a car person to have a Saab because there's a decent chance that something's going to start knocking while you're on the highway and you're going to have to like pull over and check it yourself basically. And so with, and now Saab is defunct. They shut down in like 2010 or something like that. Um, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. They're, they're gone. They, uh, they got, they got uh, merged into like GM or something. Well, no wonder he was so, prote- no wonder he was production. so, pro- no wonder he was so protective of it. Like if you think it's wrecked, he doesn't get a sob anymore. Right. But by the way, we didn't even talk about like the reason why he's assigned a driver in the first place, which is like, I don't know if this is like a, you know, a modern retelling of Uncle Vanya or a fucking book of Job story because the guy has glaucoma on top of his problems. Wait, like, so was it was it actually because of his glaucoma? Because they're like, no, like a film director like killed a person in an accident a couple of years ago. So now we just don't let the directors drive. I don't know if he told them about his glaucoma. Well, well, I think that's sort of like that's what I think his glaucoma is why he relents, you know. Oh, okay. But like, but like a director losing his vision, like this is like I, I just I it, like I feel for the man. By the way, 
Did I tell you guys like his performance? Which, by the way, I if I was giving you my five best actor slots, like he would be in it, right? Um, he Simon Rex, and I don't even like Pig, but you got to give it to Cage. But um, how dare you, Pig, come down here and slander Pig? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But that being said, um, I get like you know, I feel like if this was the American version of this movie, I feel like he'd be played by Joseph Gordon Levitt. I get like Joseph Gordon Levitt vibes. I don't know. Interesting. Um, I, I, my, my point with the sob thing though, what I think is interesting is the sob is representative of him, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's old and quirky and imperfect. About to go defunct. About, yeah, <laughs> always on the verge of just collapsing and being non existent, but still very beautiful, right? It's there's there's something unique about it. There's like it's a weird looking car, right? Like, have you ever seen a car that looks like a Saab? Like, they're they're very unique looking. They're very uh, they're very interesting, and they carry a lot of history. And I felt like that was that was like such a great parallel. And that is so the Saab is in the in the short story as well. Um, it's a different model. I think it's like a yellow convertible in the story versus the red 900 hardtop in the in, in the in the movie. But um, I think it's there intentionally. I don't think they just like picked it. I don't think Murakami picked a sob just for the shit of it. Like, I think it's there for a reason. And th- I think that's the reason. I think it's because it's a like it, it parallels the director as a character. Like if the car were a character, it would be very much like Kafuku, right? Yeah, I hadn't even really thought about it that deeply. So I, I'm glad that you had some level of uh, uh, knowledge of Saab because that's not something I could have I could have brought to this. But it, it, it's, in, it's it's certainly interesting to think about it in that way. Um, we do want to hear your Saab story after all, Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. um, I, okay, so the, the two other things I want to talk about, I guess I want to talk a, a little bit more about um, uh, Takasuki, the, the young actor, but also like we, we still didn't talk that much about Watari, but I guess I'll back up for a second and talk about uh, Takasuki because uh, I movie kind of ends with some more of the stuff about Watari and we can talk about it there. But uh, what did you guys actually make of like the, um, I mean, there's the scene in the car that we already talked about, but like they have a few other meetings too. And uh, we and we see that like there's like I mean they allude to him having like have some kind of fall from grace from where he was at the point at which we met him earlier in the movie. Uh, we come to learn it was like about relationships with like underage people probably possibly. Uh, but then like he's a, a kind of a little bit hounded by uh, paparazzi and that kind of ultimately leads to his downfall where like where he like attacks one of them or something like that. I'm wondering. Um, what did what did you make of them even like deciding to go there with the, that part of the story? I mean, like I not 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 that not not that I objected to it or anything like that, but I also don't know if the movie loses that much if you don't have this guy straight up murder someone. Um, so I'm I'm I'm, wonder, I'm wondering what what you, what you made of that, Josh. You know, I was at, I like again, like I, I was kind of okay with it, like just going to that. I think I have like a similar thought, like um, as you could have come up with many ways where you would have to drop out of the play, but I think it just. Kind, I think it kind of goes along with the themes of grief and loss and stuff. And, you know, you have this, like, unexpected tragedy of uh, Odo um, dying. And then, like, you have this case of, you know, this reckless actor ac- maybe accidentally killing someone, maybe not. But um, I think it's just sort of, like, I think where it ultimately leads up, which is uh, Kofuku having to take the role onto himself. And I think it you know, puts the pressure for him to do so. And it's kind of his fuck up a little bit by casting him in the first place, despite 
how unhinged this actor was. Um, uh, I think it it serves its narrative purposes. I so my kind of perspective on it, I think, is that because you asked earlier, uh, Josh, like what, what, why he casts uh, Takatsuki, like kind of knowing, you know, the baggage. Th- yeah, the baggage, right? And I think it is in a way to kind of screw with him, right? Mm-hmm. To teach him a lesson, whatever nebulous idea that that really ends up being. But I think we can take it further, right? Because the idea that these this movie is, you know, the way that people deal with grief, I think it's ultimately Kafuku recognizing that Takatsuki is a person too. And even though he did something bad by engaging in that infidelity with Odo he probably loved Odo too maybe in a different way you know but the the reality is is he Odo was a person that had so much meaning to Takatsuki as well so in that moment when they're together in the car and Takatsuki tells him the rest of Odo's story I feel like that's Kafuku recognizing like oh I I fucked up here like I was trying to punish this kid who maybe deserves it, but the fact is, like he's grieving just like I am. And it I think ultimately the... it's Odo who's like doing this to him. Like it's ultimately Odo that committed the betrayal, not... right? And and it, it takes him knowing that, right? Getting to that point and realizing like it was just the, like her irascible, like her unknowable nature. And that's like that. Well, and we'll get to that at the ending, right? Like being mad at ghosts kind of thing. But like, I think that's the, that's like the tragedy of the film is Takatsuki is Kafuku, like kind of like setting up Takatsuki in a way, but then realizing too late, like, Oh, I, I messed up here. And, and Takatsuki not being able to deal with his grief in a reasonable manner. He, you know, cause we hear since, what happened with Odo, Takatsuki went off the freaking rails. Like he had a he had an illicit relationship with a minor. He's known for his volatility towards paparazzi. Like this jostling him, like rocking that cage made it worse. And that sort of leads to maybe what's inevitable with him is him blowing up and, and killing a paparazzo. So um. Also, something I didn't really think about is that we, in like the thing with uh, Kofuku and his like sort of mild mannered uh, nature and, and his ability to compartmentalize, like that he can still love Odo while accepting like some of her flaws, is that Odo is kind of like this, this sort of unseen story is sort of her processing the grief of her child. And how that lead, like, you know, isn't she under the spell of like writing writer's block for a few years until like she starts sleeping with other men? And that's when she like gets in the habit of like uh, creating her stories like um, through sex. Like, and that was probably through her own grieving part process too. And I think like the movie, I think it's humane and sort of like being sympathetic to every single character, but also, you know, and it's evaluation of how like we each like process grief differently and how it leads us to not putting on like being our best selves and causing hurt towards other people. But at the end of the day, trying to like work through that 
at the same time too. Yeah, in theory, I guess uh, how we see Kafuku doing it is just, I mean, uh, a slightly more healthy, productive way by channeling himself into the work, whereas uh, yeah. it, the work doesn't serve as uh, as productive as an outlet uh, for Takusuki. Yeah, I, 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 I want to move back. Before before we wrap up, we need to talk a little bit. We got to talk about this ending and about Watari and how uh, this final, this kind of last journey they take to her old hometown. Uh, you know, she's like slowly opened up to him at that point, but he's kind of like identified it as a place he wants to see based on his discussions with her at that point. Uh, Elijah, what did you think about how, like, I mean, I'm, I made my point earlier about how I thought, I thought it was important. She was in there for the scene where that big conversation that she wasn't even a participant in, but overall, what did you think about how the movie like kind of, uh, revealed her as a character who, uh, seems to be like one thing when we first meet her, but like has like a lot more going on underneath. Yeah, well, and I think, right, because we've talked about the, I mean, we've hit, hit on this point several times now um, of this movie is about the way that people deal with grief, but it's on the on the very microscopic level of the story with Kafuku specifically, right? It's him, you know, and Josh mentioned the glaucoma, right? And like, it's kind of like a Job story, like him losing his vision, and it is in a way, right? Because you can read it like him losing his vision with the with the play and his vision as a director. But the glaucoma is also in a way him losing his vision with other people. Like the glaucoma is representative of him just kind of like losing the ability to read into other people's lives and motives. And so I think that's why for so much of this film, Watari is just kind of on the periphery, right? And we're we get sucked into it. Like we barely, like we were kind of mystified. Like what is her part? Like, is he going to like, is he going to fall in love with her? Like, no, she's way too young. Like what, what's their relationship? Like we don't read what's going on with her until he has this, you know, this jostling, you know, awakening of Takatsuki going to possibly going to jail for the rest of his life. Like that's when he's finally like woken up to this, like, wow, like there's this other person who's been here with me this whole time who has, who's clearly like, there, it's not like damaged is like a, a really like, that's a, I think an awful way to describe a person, but like she's clearly has like baggage. Like she has, has lived a lot of life for someone of that age. Exactly. And so I, I think like that unfolding like that, him kind of like restoring his vision and finally being able to see that you know other people in his life have struggles too i think that's what makes that whole final like 30 minutes so impactful so strong is and it's not like a i don't think it's i don't think it's tragic or sad except for you know obviously what happens with takatsuki but i think for kafuku and for watari it's not sad it's it's uplifting right that re- recognizing that that other people have had loss and feel grief for different reasons and other people are mad at you know things in their past that they won't be able to you know ever really necessarily reconcile the beauty is knowing that other people have those things and that you can share that and you can exist together in that moment no, yeah, yeah. I, 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 th- I think that's, I think that's really well put. It was just kind of cool to see him, to have him. Not that he was like ever like, you know, he, he was a little off put when like she first became the became his driver that he had to have a driver. But like at the same time, it's like he, he once he comes to respect her, he's more just like 
he, he 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 wants to treat her well. He feels bad that she's just like having to sit out by this car so much while he's just like going on all these like random trips as opposed to being a, a back and forth thing. So he's like come to like want, wants her to like be comfortable in that role. But like it's kind of cool that like he like you said, it's like somewhere somewhere he wasn't even expecting to kind of find that connect, emotional connection, that outlet uh, just like uh, all of a sudden just like uh, become something so deep because they have spent all that time together. And it goes back to what we've already said about just like, uh, man, that, that, that time really just kind of compounds on itself uh, throughout this movie. Uh, Josh, was there anything that particularly struck you about the last act? You know, at first, like, you know, I'd been so involved with um, uh, Kafuku's like narrative and stuff. So like when we take that detour towards uh, her hometown, like I was a little bit like, that was like the part of the movie that felt like it was dragging a little bit to me but at the same time like i think you sort of need it in order to get to the film's like resolution and we're like you know like and i think like the, her him giving up the card to her you know is like this like almost like you, you can almost feel like the weight like he has now fully evolved he has like fully uh uh gotten past like or at least maybe not fully past it but got into like a state of solace and so like the car like being like this like parting gift to like you know someone that we compared earlier to, to like the daughter that he never really had i think you know makes i think you know like it makes the movie moving but also like kind of gets the movies like themes about like channeling through grief through the arts and then also um you know finding these like connections through your grief yeah, I, 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 I was just I was just particularly blown away though by the scene like outside of her old house. The way she when she opened up to him, I was like, I again, I wasn't like I, I thought it was interesting. I, I I liked how I liked all the sob the sob shots and I liked the uh <laughs> I, I just uh, seeing that trek across Japan. I mean, you know, I feel like it, it was showing me a different part of Japan than I normally see in film. I that's more on me for not having watched more Japanese movies, but I feel like a lot of them like are just you know, mostly in Tokyo um and so i i thought it was cool to see what it looks like to even travel across japan in a way like i oh yeah like we never even like talked about like you know the it's set in hiroshima which like you know that carries a lot of baggage in of itself and like i heard that like actually the reason why it was actually a covid related thing where like it was supposed to be he takes up residency in seoul and he's doing like a korean production but because of covid and travel restrictions they made it Hiroshima mm. but like I think like getting past like you know grief and trauma and stuff you know like that's a city that has its you know like baggage in that regard gotcha and I, yeah. I thought I thought the trip to Hokkaido you know to see Watari's home I thought it was so it was an interesting coda in a way right because Josh and I and I think in JV, we all kind of, all of us, all three of us have, have sort of recognized how the first act, like the first 40 minutes of the film is weirdly like dark and kind of mysterious and detached in a way, right from the rest of the film. So in a way there's this coda, right. Of returning at the end of the film to that, to, to a place that's very, uh, you know, Hokkaido is presented as being this kind of frozen over like, sad sort of place so so much so right that when they go to her old house we you know hear her story about how the house you know was burned down and we get this kind of notion that like she chose not to save her mother but the house is still there 
it's just like frozen in time. And I feel like that was, it was such a, a, a brilliant way to kind of bring that back together, reach that, reach for that tone from the beginning of the film and show how it's like, there's, it, we shouldn't be scared of that, that, or we shouldn't be angry at it. Like those things, that house, you know, that, that exists in the past and it always will. It, it's always going to be frozen in time like that, that, you know, that, that, smoldering heap of what was once the house is still going to be there and you you know you you can't watari harbors so much anger about it and so much sorrow but i think that was like the the beauty of the ending and having that moment there in the snow and all of that coldness is just like you can you can move past it like you it doesn't need to be sunny and bright for everything to be good hmm. like it you if you have that connection if you find a way to you know to re- reconcile that grief and connect with other people then you know the fact that you're standing there in the snow with the ancient burning wreckage of your house you know <laughs> like doesn't really doesn't really matter that much it's well said josh what, what what do you make of the final scene and we talked a little bit about before we started recording uh, about uh, the, the illusions of COVID, but we're just like seeing her drive the sob. What, what was your take on that? Um, I thought it was just beautiful, you know, like it's it sort of like the story's resolved without being fully resolved in a sense. And, you know, I, I just thought like, you know, the journey that we took to get to that point, And by the time we get it, you know, we have like, care deeply about these characters and we feel like their weight of like grief like left off of them in a sense you know and and that's relieving in its own way hmm. yeah elijah uh what were you thinking when you like saw her drive the sob are we supposed to take that to, are we supposed to take that to mean he just gave it to her because he didn't need he, he realized he shouldn't be on the road because he's losing his sight <laughs> no i think actually after their little moment in the snow she actually killed him and stole the card <laughs> 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 no, just, just kidding um no yeah my, i mean i think it's i think yeah probably right mechanically it is him accepting like okay this is my life now and i need to you know i need to move forward uh and you know maybe not be driving anymore especially not a car that's kind of old and quirky and not necessarily the most reliable but i think more so right we touched on this idea that it's like this they're they're sort of unspoken father-daughter relationship and in that moment I totally saw it as like he was holding on to this car because he was going to give it to his daughter and then after she died he just had the car and had no idea what to do with it because like the car is that grief right the car is his baggage it's like like it's just there and he doesn't know how to process it and it's not like he's literally handing his grief off to someone else but like he's he's found a way to deal with it. Like he's well, he, he knows what to do now and well, to, what was to do. Yeah. Whereas, whereas before that, his... whereas before that, he just didn't know how to deal with like all the other stuff. Oh no! Like like what is his grief, which sort of like symbolized by this car, is something that'd be like almost a gift or something rewarding for this other person. You know what I mean? And so that transfer is is somewhat beautiful, especially as you know his character is growing and evolving after going through the worst like like you know like this movie takes span like over a course of a decade right like you know and so i'm like dang he had like the worst like 10 years ever 
like from the death of his daughter to the death of his wife to infidelity, glaucoma, uh, losing his lead actor. Like, <laughs> it's just, I'm just happy. Like, you know, I'm happy that he can move on and let someone drive his car. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any other final thoughts, Elijah, that things I didn't ask you about that you wanted to highlight about the movie before we wrap up? I mean, I think we've well and truly hit everything. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, you know, this is definitely a performance movie, definitely a writer's movie. But I would also make a note if there was one technical quality I thought was really stellar. It would be um, uh, Eiko Ishibashi's score. Oh, yes. Um, she, she just did an absolutely phenomenal job for this movie. It, it was I it, it's the kind of score. It's like I don't even know how to like I, I don't know how to talk about it because there's just there's no words that are going to like, just go find the score online somewhere and listen to it. That's apparently, the only thing uh, I can say. Josh, apparently you were, you were exposing your students to it. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like when I came, when I had a, uh, did we mention the fact that like I drove my car two hours yeah. to see this movie and two hours back. Uh, and so while I'm processing the movie, I was playing this score and the score is kind of interesting. Cause like most of it's like variations, to, like the same theme, uh, but it's like this nice, like jazz score, but it kind of, matches both like the character kafuku and his vibe and but also like this weird like contemplative like mellow like it it, is a beautiful score like it really deserved like to be nominated in addition to it like um it's writing and directing nominations i know we said we uh i i I know none of us really have a whole lot of uh love for don't look up though i mean uh i don't i I, nicholas pertel like can't really do much he can't do much his wrong. Score was the only part of that movie that was actually a positive. Right. I was going to say, like, I didn't know if that was like one that jumped out to you guys is like, get that out of here. Cause we don't like to look up, but it's like everything he does is good. So it's like, oh, I'm not going to like get, get up in arms about like, uh, but my uh, thing is like, I like it, like, you're right. I think that's a good score. Like it has like this, like 60s, like jazzy vibe to it, um, which kind of, you know, tracks with like what it's trying to do. Like the modern sh- Dr. Strange love thing. But like you could probably pick other scores from this year that were better, like Drive My Car score as well. Like, yeah, not to no diss to Bertel, but it's not like we're putting his succession theme up here. Like, um, <laughs> I wish. Yeah, like, like we don't have to honor. Don't look up. All right, there's a lot of talented people worked on that movie. Sometimes they whiff, baby. Like, uh, fair. Like, I think objectively, like, Kate Blanchett is doing great work in that film. Do we nominate it? No. Like. All right. Uh, Josh, anything else uh, on Drive My Car before we, before we close this up? Not, like, all I can say, I think we, I said everything I needed to say about this movie. This was, like, a very intimidating podcast because this movie, there is this elusive, like, quality to it where, like, you know, I've only seen it one time that I feel like a lot of the movie's death will like slowly reveal itself like if upon like rewatch and rewatch uh for it to be fully appreciated so until then like just everybody should like drive their car to the nearest movie theater that's playing it maybe that's three hours away like in my case but uh i think it's worth it the fact that i drove two hours to and from and i still like the movie i think that's a testament to it sure uh, <laughs> Elijah, anything else you've uh, been uh, watching recently you want to shout out? Yeah, I mean, I, we talked about this earlier. I would say 
that Drive My Cars is rightfully getting a ton of praise um, and Ryosuke Hamaguchi is getting a ton of praise. I think Drive My Car is a great accomplishment. What's an even greater accomplishment is that he had two films this year that were absolutely stellar. Um, the other one being Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which is a very different film from this one. It is a, uh, a much more... Uh, whimsical is not the right word, but it's it's a it's a lot more of just like a happy-go-lucky comedy drama. Um, it's romance, rom-com, drama, rom-romedy, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Uh, it's an anthology film that tells three stories of uh, modern love and romance uh, in Japan, and it's uh, I I just thought it was really really well executed, incredibly well written. And uh, it's available to rent on Amazon Prime for four bucks, which is a steal for, I think, one of the best movies of the year. So good call. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely planning on watching it. The way I've heard you talk about it and other people talk about it, it seems like something I, I would be into. Uh, Josh, anything else you've been watching recently you want to direct the listeners to? Another like good surprise from, from the Oscar nominations and like the Academy being a little bit more adventurous uh, because of the more international members they've invited is uh the love the the worst person in the world got like i saw that the other day and immediately dropped uh jumped in my top 10 like that's a movie that is also about a character going through like what is sort of like this epic journey but like the stakes are kind of low like um you know just dealing with the messiness of being in your 20s and that's just that movie um uh blew me away as well and extremely well written and deserves it the attention and love that it's got by the time people are listening to this i will probably have seen that but i have not and i am very much looking forward to it uh the only new thing i've really watched in the last uh couple weeks is uh i watch i watch i've watched now i guess the first four episodes of pam and tommy on hulu it's a lot of it's a lot of fun i think it's uh for uh all directed by craig gillespie i believe um who people might know from i tanya Lake Bell directed the last episode. Oh, right, 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 right. I forgot. Sorry. So he directed a lot of them, but she did. She directed the last one. It's all been good so far. Has Josh's boy, Seth Rogen, uh, you know, and it's it's not a it's, it's not an event. I knew, a real life event that I knew a ton about. So it's just, it's just fun to learn about it in that regard. But I think it also like uh, treats the subjects probably with like more care than they uh, th- than other than other people have typically talked about them with. So I think it should it gets it should get some credit for that. And just um, I mean. The, the physical transformation they put on Lily James is obviously something, but I'm particularly enjoying Sebastian Stan, like getting to like really go all out when he's like usually so clean cut and watching him have a fun time. It's just, it's really good. I think Elijah agrees. I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, Josh, but I haven't, but I remember Galepsi using Sebastian Stan really well at I Tanya when right. like, I, I've never been a fan of his winter. Uh, yeah. He was kind of, sle- he was kind of sleazy in a good way. in I Tanya, I forgot, I forgot. I actually totally forgot about him being in that makes sense that they came together on this. Um, yeah, and I know, like with Galepsi, like I've liked the last two things that I've seen him do, um, uh, Corella and um, um, Itania. I just know, like, like amongst other people, he's pretty divisive, especially his sort of like kinetic style. So, oh, like you know, with Pam and Tommy, I, I'm glad that you both seem to like it because you know I've heard like people really really like it. I think I've heard like some people not like it either. So, you know. I do want to check it out. Cool. All right. Uh, Elijah, anything else you want to plug personally? Uh, work, letterbox, anything like that? Jeez. Uh, um, no, the two uh, Sundance passed already. So I think 
I don't know what the status. Yeah, you just get to wait till the, that, those, until they get the release dates. Yeah, yeah. keep an eye out for Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul in uh, in, in theaters or on VOD and uh, Watcher. It's one of those two. Maybe I'm so I'm so mad that I didn't take advantage of that like Sundance screening things. I was just like I got like. Uh, I just didn't have the time at, during the week of it, but I like the honk for Jesus. I, I really, really wanted to see, and like also the fact that you worked on it was like more impetus to see. It, yeah, so. I, 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 I was, I was like too late on everything there. Like if I'd known, like if I'd like just known how that stuff was working in time, I would have like tr- probably booked a few more. Instead, I only got into Cha Cha Real Smooth, which is like the one I was like most excited about, and they opened up some extra tickets. But like I'm excited for the stuff Elijah worked on, and also a lot of other stuff that came from Sundance. So hopefully they'll start putting that stuff out. Uh, sooner rather than later i know well i guess after yang is gonna might might already be out by the time people listen to this because i actually got an early march release date josh anything else you want to plug uh not much i got my brown film collective oh yeah yeah, that too i got my instagram account and i got my um my letterbox account um so yeah there you go as usual i'm josh chernovoy j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on twitter and letterbox the podcast twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod, the podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Uh, I don't, I'm not even going to say what we're coming up, what's coming up next because I don't know when I'm putting this out, but uh, there's just plenty of stuff that like we'll have something next week because I, you know, I've got a head on some stuff with this uh, Batman project that will have already aired uh, at the time that everyone's listening to this. So, uh, you know, I'll have plenty of new movies to have put out around this. I don't really know what's going on though in uh, late February, early March, besides the Batman, which uh, again, you'll have already heard plenty from me about at the, at the time I post this. So uh, just stay tuned. Well, you got plenty of new stuff coming. Thanks again to Elijah and Josh for joining me and we'll see you next time.